Hello, everybody. Today is the 17th of February, 2020. 2020. Um, and I hope that uh, by the end of this year, the vision of many people listening to this and the vision of many people in general will be 2020 instead of being myoptic or farsighted or whatever. So, um, and we're here to help with that, hopefully. And um, not that we have all the answers, but we do have some of them. Um, I was talking with Jim earlier. Uh, well, actually, first of all, Eric, and I know I didn't ask you this before the show, and if you don't, that's cool, but do you have any new um, Q information? Um, not right off the top of my head right now. Okay. So, okay. Um, but no, not at the moment. Okay. Well, I've noticed that um, uh, there's been a little, there was a little rift with uh, Barr and Trump this week. Was there or something or um, Barr was complaining about Trump saying too much on uh, on uh, social media, or was I the only one to hear that? Or uh, actually happened? <laughs> I I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, other than there's a lot of people that complain about Trump talking on Twitter too much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I think I think that was said. But I think that rift has been healed. Um, so, uh, but I keep hearing. From what I'm reading, because I, you know, I just have Twitter and I just read what uh, the yeah. medic writes and and stuff like that, and it's 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 more or less just get ready, get your seatbelts yeah. ready, because things are going to start happening. So, well, Q yeah. said today basically to be blunt, game over. <laughs> That's what it says. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And uh, I know that uh, they have rebought, brought up the whole tarmac meeting between Hillary Clinton or. Uh, and uh, or no, it was Bill Clinton and Rice, Loretta. Was it? Uh, no, it was Loretta Lynch, I believe. Yeah, Loretta Lynch. That's oh right. yeah, That's yeah. Yes, yeah, so that whole yeah. meeting on the tarmac. So, so there's something about what was discussed on there that was very, very important. That's I guess well, that, coming out. That was uh, in regards to Scalia, wasn't it? Well, I think he died soon after think- that. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was it, it was in regards to that. Yeah, I think it was something about um, getting her a Supreme Court um, seat, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in an exchange for something. Um, though I haven't seen the full details of it all. Well, what I read is that she was fully surprised by that meeting; that she didn't know it was going to happen, didn't even know he was at that airport at that time. Yeah. And uh, somehow he just uh, walked over to her plane. I guess when you're, you know, when you're that high up, you can do stuff like that at airports, and people don't don't uh, question it absolutely one bit. But um, yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, quite fishy. But everything the Clintons do, I do, I do know that. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Bloomberg said that he wants to pick Hillary Clinton for running mate, and I, I think that's quite funny because I think that uh, he'd probably be in office if he lasted a year. I'd really be surprised. But he, he, would, he would somehow yeah. die mysteriously, and they would yeah, find that his will said that everything goes to the Clinton Foundation. So, all right. Um, anyway, yeah, if he does that, then uh, that shows you right there. Even though him mentioning shows you that he's not somebody that we should be putting in office. Well, I don't quite understand. How is it that, you know, Bloomberg would enter the race now because they're already – I mean, they're already into their third primary. I think the Democrats are. So, oh, yeah. how is this going to work? They're going to get get through the primaries and 
not choose any of the candidates the voters want and then just choose Bloomberg, I think I'd be very upset uh, as a voter. Oh, sure. Um, He's doing this as a last-ditch attempt to divert um, Uncle Bernie. Yeah, Uncle they don't Bernie. want they don't want Bernie to to get it. That's very Bernie, very obvious to me. Bernie is almost the mirror image of Trump to the Democratic Party. I mean, Trump was to the Republican Party how Bernie is to the Democratic Party. Yeah, they don't want him because he's the loose cannon, the one that they didn't expect would actually go anywhere, and all of a sudden he's more of a forerunner than anyone else. Yeah, and and I hate to say it. It's because of millennials, especially even Christian millennials. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's gathering together the younger generation to um, believe, accept, and embrace socialism as this is the new opportunity, the new hope, the only hope. And he's such a twisted liar in one sense, but a purist as far as communism is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Never, and yeah, never did, held a job his entire life, just, never created anything. I was just going to say, I yeah. was just going to say, in, in looking at his life introspectively, as we all do to a certain degree, he has absolutely no experience in reality, no experience at all. He's totally hooked up on an idealistic communist model with expectations that it would actually work. And he's deluded into thinking it probably would. But he has no experience base in the real world to see how business, politics or anything is conducted. Right. Um, he's a maverick that's run amok within the Democratic Party, and they don't know how to. They're doing they're doing whatever they can. So I think Bloomberg is the last ditch attempt to uh, maybe disrupt that momentum that he has. Right. Yeah. But but they're so look at how the. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of it, but I, you know, kind of watched some of the news, the fake news, especially. I want to see how they put the spin on everything. Um, to just the the comedy show that is going on with the uh, the Democratic debates, it is ridiculous. I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't watched them. They're a bunch of angry, mudslinging adolescents acting like little babies. I mean, it's yeah. just unbelievable how, you know, I read down a name-calling, mocking, just, you know, they're acting like a bunch of... Uh, the Sandlot, like kids in a playground. There you go. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I know Van Jones made a comment about some of those debates that he said there's there's nothing I saw there that is going to be take on be able to take on Trump. So oh no, it's a big right. joke. It, yeah, that's well, that's kind of that was his consensus. Guys, I believe I believe this year is the roller coaster ride. This is the year we take a leap into um, perfect vision. We're going to see everything for what it really is, and. I'll be honest with you, by the time October, uh, September and October come of this year, I don't think there's going to be a Democratic Party surviving or living to be in the elections. Yeah. All, most of them are going to be in Gitmo, and the rest of them are going to be in um, Federal Penitentiary uh, Leavenworth. Do you think Gitmo's that close, Jim? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I really I do. think it's going to be after, after uh, January of next year. Uh, it, you know, it, it could be. It's, I think it's going to be somewhere around that time when the dominoes hit. I mean, one, the the coronavirus might be the catalyst right. that gets this whole ball rolling, leading to you know the the short term two months of rioting and and uh, and craziness that's going to go on. Do you um, think that's before the election or uh, after well, it? 
again, you know, I don't know, guys. I, I just I yeah. know they're going to happen, but is it before or after? I don't think any of us know exactly what the sequential chain of events are. Just they're going to happen. And I know from personally what the Lord has laid on me for what I've been expecting. He's been telling me that, you know, that this uh, New Age rapture thing, somehow the catalyst of it would be starting this year, something that I've been waiting for for 24 years. Well, that was a personal thing for me, but that's what he, you know, he's telling me, Jim, what you had been waiting for 24 years is happening, is being triggered off this year. The tribulation begins this year is the way I'm interpreting it. Now, could I be reading more into it? Yes, I could. So I have to be careful and patient and wait. But as the events start to unfold, I think it, be, it will become more clear. But that's the, the thing right there. I have to be patient and wait. So I got to be very careful. And I, I try to be extremely careful as how I present these things so that no one thinks I'm doing the Herald camping, guessing the rapture or anything like that uh, idea. I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying for me personally, something's going to happen that triggers off what I've been waiting for for 24 years. How that is interpreted out, I'm going to have to just wait and see as it unfolds. But it'll make sense when it needs to make sense. Right now, in all honesty, I just know certain events are going to happen. I just don't know what the sequence of them are. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything, but when you know, I know where, who, why, how, and, and all that stuff. I just don't know when. <laughs> right, right. I got some other bad news for for the world. I guess you know. I don't know if you guys have been following this whole um, locust um, devouring oh, yeah, crops. Yes, yes. Here's here's another thing though. China at at a time that is, uh, you know, battling this virus. Guess what's happening now? Your crops are being eaten by locusts. The locusts have invaded uh, across the border into China. Oh my gosh! Oh no! I've been seeing it, you know, in, in northern Africa and um, parts of the Middle East, but I didn't know that it. Wow, they'd hit into there. Yeah. But there again, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, Bible prophecies being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. All of the things. Uh, for the Ezekiel 38th War, my gosh, they're they're right there, right in front of us. The the alignment of those nations had never, in 3,000 years, had never been in the situation where they're in right now. They're exactly what the uh, the eve of this invasion would say that the lineup is, and, and it's been reaffirmed from Russia reluctantly. You know that that uh, the alliance with Iran, with Turkey, uh, some of the Mid Eastern. Uh, in Eastern European blocks, they're, they're all there. Yeah. And then in conjunction to that, you see where the cor- uh, coronavirus is hitting the most right now as far as actual deaths, as far as, I mean, what we're getting is filtered down, watered down BS. But but even then, from China, you can see where the next step that is a nation that has the most actual uh, recorded um people that have it would be Australia. And you look on a map and they're just like, a, you know, one step away. Um, but then you look at the map and all of the nations that had shared in the China New Year's are the next ones, you know, right on the border, which seems to follow the same path. Then for Europe, and this is really funny, for, for Europe, it is all of the major allies that were in World War II, France, or all the participants, actually, France, Germany, um, 
see, France and Germany were the worst. England and um, the Netherlands area. Huh. All of, all of that area, they've got like double almost everybody else as far as um, actual cases. Mm-hmm. And, huh. and it's just, you know, I mean, this is almost by design, almost like a, a revengeful Satan, you know, is kicking back and, and, uh, and attacking. It's just, I mean, when you see in comparison to our history and everything, so, um, you know, it's just, it's weird. So, so the litmus test, I guess, for us, if we want to see, you know, how fast it's going and see the effects, let's look to Australia and see what's happening there. Let's look at the Asian countries that were celebrating, um, this Chinese New Year's and, see what's happening in those areas. And then let's look at the four uh, participants of, of World War II and see what those nations are going on. Whatever's happening to them is going to be a mirror image of what's going to happen to us. But we get to see ahead of time through how it spreads and, and what it's doing, how it's going to eventually ultimately affect us in the United States. And in the United States, it's in the exact same places that the movie Contagion had had been in. What place is oh my it gosh, Jim. Um, that is in um, first is in uh, well Chicago. The, I know that the West Coast, Seattle, yeah, San Diego, um, Oregon. Uh, yep, that's sorry, exactly. Yep, Oregon, and then uh, Chicago, right? And Texas. all around the great and all around the Great Lakes area, and Texas, Texas too. And then, that's exactly um, that, that's exactly how it's played out so far. And then, and not necessarily New York. We're right next to New York in Baltimore. Right. And this is exactly where it's all being played out. It's just huh. unbelievable. Now, I had a friend of mine. She got a hold of me. She says, Jim, I just saw this movie, and I thought of you. I couldn't believe it. it and I said, okay. Uh, and then she told me, I said, what year did that movie come out? She says, 2011. Huh. 20, really? 2011? That's when the Contagion movie came out. You know what the movie was about? Oh, you guys, you know, we don't say any more comment, okay? But in order for the Arab alliance to make a sneak attack on Israel, uh-huh. they use private-owned SUVs. Okay, I got you. Yeah, you, got yeah. What I'm, you know where yeah, I'm coming I'm, uh-huh. from on this? We're yeah. following you now. Without going too far Can into it, yeah. you believe that? It's in the movie. That was the main thing. That's how they were able to make a sneak attack. Huh. Nobody was suspecting private citizens driving SUVs that were rigged with the package that would enable them, you know, a height package that, that raised up the tires to about a foot and a half clearance from the ground, oversized all-terrain vehicle tires. Uh-huh. Some of them were even Kevlar tires. Huh. So um, how ingenious. Hmm. Yeah, you're not kidding. Just a coincidence, though. It's the yeah. same as it ever was. Everything's going to be a fine, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So again, it goes back to that concept that they have to hide in plain sight or speak out what they're going to do before they actually do it. So here it is, encrypted in a couple of Hollywood movies made in 2011, about on the eve of what we're about to experience. The script already written. It's just incredible. That is incredible. My goodness. Wow. Well, coming to a theater near you, folks. I got pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Show you later.
right? We'll have, a, we'll have an right. interesting movie uh, next year. <laughs> well, they, they were talking, you know, I was listening. They had some nurse talking. And, uh, she had arrived back uh, from work. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, they were hiding her identity. But she said that, you know, she was uh, working the floor. And basically, you know, people that looked very healthy all of a sudden just fell to the floor and dropped dead. She said that uh, they're yep. uh, – their, the crematoriums and stuff have, have become so overburdened that what they're doing is just digging ditches and throwing bodies yeah, in bull, the ditches. Bulldozing them. Yep. yep. And then just yeah. burning them. And then just them, them. bulldozing them. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is the mortality rate actually? Um, it doesn't seem too good, actually. Well, that, it doesn't. That one ophthalmologist was saying it was like 10,000 people a day were dying, and that's when they quit taking them to the morgue because they just, you know, um, there was no point. They had to just bulldoze them into big pits and burn them right yeah. down there. Yeah. 10,000 a day, can you imagine? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, we're not seeing anywhere near the depth or dimension of this threat. Now, I even heard one person, and so, you know, we're on, we're on the outside trying to look in, so we don't really get all the information, and we know that this, you know, something is not up. He was comparing this to, I think it was in 1970, um, I want to say sometime 73, 74, there was a fake, uh, there was a fake uh, flu virus that was rumored to be going around that was going to be like the uh, the Spanish flu one, you know, back at the turn of the century. Uh, was it 1900? Oh, 1917, I, right around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so, but it never happened. It was all just faked out, and it was kind of hyped up through Hollywood too to try to, you know, create the momentum and get people in a panic. And it was actually a financial manipulation, but it was still, you know, something that had taken place. So they were speculating, could this be the same thing? Sometimes when the press picks up on stuff and promotes it too much and blows it out of proportion, it kind of makes me suspicious. So, right, right. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, in saying all that, it's wise to consider all things and just be patient and wait. We're going to just have to wait this out. We're not going to get all the information. Something that we read in the scriptures that is going to be covered up, you know, that all we're going to have is uh, rumors. We're not going to have everything vetted out. In Revelations um, 17, 13, it says clearly, it says, and there are 10 people that have received no power yet uh, or have, re have received no. Um, was it crown yet or something? Wasn't it? Um, it was in, you know what? I should have had a Bible here ready to look the scriptures up. Um, that have received no power yet. Will, re will receive power as. Hold on a second. Uh, letter. Yeah, hurry up. <laughs> okay, um, Blue Letter Bible, and we're going to go to. Um, you said Revelation 17? Yeah, Revelation 17, 13. Okay, here we go. 17, 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. Okay, as before that, it says, And the ten horns which thou saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as of yet. Yes, thank you. But received power as kings over in one hour with the beast. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we'll give, and, and, and we'll give them the, give unto the beast the power for they have one mind. Yeah. Right? And so, and so, so right there, you look at that in the scriptures, it's clearly telling you, here is ten people that don't have an actual 
governing position yet, but they're going to give their power to the beast one hour because they have one mind and one agenda. Okay, so what, you know, the beast is a governmental body system. Now, is I find it interesting that you follow the money trail, you follow the strategies, you follow the philosophy, the, I actually turn more religion. Who financed uh, Nazi Germany um, during their reign? These same people have transferred their support over to the United Nations. The United Nations is nothing more than global socialism continued from the Nazi agenda. Right. Now, when when you see that philosophy is one and the same, then you see the United Nations Charter. Gee, they've got the earth carved out into 10 sections, 10 controlling sections. Do you think the 10 that are investing in the beast, that's what they're investing in? And they're going to be controlling uh you know their reward for the contribution and promoting all of this is that they're going to be governor of one of these 10 sections mm-hmm. it's right there in front of us prophecy being fulfilled there is a rich elite they have an agenda it's called agenda 21 right and the georgia guidestones map the way they declare it carved in stone man they're imitating everything that god has done they're doing the same but opposite exactly right. what the very spirit uh, of antichrist is it's the same but opposite and that's what mm-hmm. we're seeing or that's where some of us are seeing but most are just totally oblivious and not even not even you know just clueless i guess you know and, and yeah they they took the blue pill and went back into the matrix and they're sound asleep and some of them i don't want to know i don't care you know remember the scene in, in uh the matrix when the guy says well, how do we know what chicken tastes like maybe it doesn't even taste like maybe you know because we're just told so i don't care you know yeah. i'm having yeah. a good time so just pop me back in i'm i'm having a good time nothing's real anyway so it doesn't matter That's well right. no there is a reality and it's going to come back and bite the butt if you take that stupid idea <laughs> you can run but you can't hide the yep. God of all creation is still in control. He's got his own plan, and he's just turned. He's just going to turn this all around. He's laughing from heaven at them, mocking them, because right. he already knows how it turns out. And we do yeah. too if we bought the cheat uh, peek and cheat and look at Revelation 19. Yeah, <laughs> those yeah. who put their faith and trust in the Lord win. Those that didn't lose, well, actually, they already lost and don't realize it. And unfortunately, many of us, the battle's already been won, and we're not realizing it. Um, we don't have anything to worry about right. if we're putting our trust and faith in Christ. So yeah. it's nice to when we got a book that's already got the beginning from the end already explained out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was talking with my mom the other day. I talk with her you know, every day when I drive to work. It, it's nice. I get to talk with her and she keeps me awake while I'm driving. Um, <laughs> so because it's at four in the morning, you know. But yeah. um, anyway, uh, she goes, I don't understand. She says, it's like for the last 20 years, people have gotten stupid. You know, they're they're doing stupid things and things that normally, you know, 20 years ago would not have made sense. And they're trying to make it sound like it makes sense. You know, now here's here's a case in point. We got this crazy governor over here that wants to go with Oregon 2021, you know, agenda 2021. And. So she wants to get rid of all gross polluting vehicles and go for electric cars, right? Now, that's that's bad enough. But in the papers yesterday, it said that now she wants to get rid of three of the hydroelectric dams that are on the Columbia River over in Washington. First of all, she's got nothing to say about Washington. She's an Oregon governor. And and it's all for the, the, the salmon, 
you know, the salmon are dying off, so we got to save the salmon. So she wants electric cars, but she wants to close down the coal plants, but she also wants to get rid of three dams that are producing clean electric energy. Now, explain oh, to me how Lord. that makes any sense. How many jobs have they? Don't most dams have a, a bypass for the salmon to swim upstream? Yeah, they're upstream? called salmon ladders, yeah. And one guy yeah. said, why don't you yep. just improve the salmon ladders? That's all. Yeah. You know. Jeez. Well, you, you got to wonder, you know, look at, you know, it'd be interesting to look at her personal history. How many jo- real jobs has she actually had? How much have been political, idealistic jobs? They've all you know, been where political. The politics well, see, that, and there yeah. you go. I guess who you know, her it's brother a, is. It's another person who is out of touch. Oh, no. I guess think who her brother is. Story. Not Brown. Jerry Brown from ah! California. Yeah, that's a, her brother. <laughs> Yikes. Yep. It runs in the family. It's in the genes, man. Yep, I'm not it's insanity, about man. Oh, my God. And she was talking the other day oh, about, we must do this for our children. And I looked up. She's never had children. She's got two stepchildren, but she doesn't have any kids of her own. So she's playing on the sympathy of people that do have children, not having children of her own, to try to make a point. And I'm like, man, th- this woman is certifiable. She she could be stuck in the nearest psychiatric hospital and should be receiving some very strong medication. But, you know, she's she's part of the the main thing that's going on in this country. You know, it's, well, a, it's a national insanity. And it's uh, Michael Savage is right. Liberalism is a mental disorder. Go ahead, Jim. Well, people, again, you know, we're, we're being preoccupied and too occupied. I mean, with the financial crunch, our society, the way things going, you almost have to have two people income in order to maintain what used to be a status quo middle class right. uh, America. And so people are striving for that. I think Satan and his design plan has kept everybody so busy that nobody takes the time uh, unless they're real lovers of truth, unless they're the kind of uh, when you were a kid, you bugged your mom and dad to death because you kept saying, why, 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 until you got a logical sounding answer. Uh-huh. Those are the people that keep pressing forward, wanting logical answers because things are not logical. They're not making sense. So right. unfortunately, the majority of the sheep and I didn't I used to not like this term because it was kind of sheeple. judgmental and Restrictive sheeple, yes. But you know what? God, that's our sad reality. Most people are just willing to be led around by the nose, and they just want to keep it simple and light and fluffy, and they want the easy way out. Man, what what does the Bible keep telling us about our relationship with him? It's the hard road. It's the um, – Straighten and narrow, but, but it, you, you know – go ahead. But it's, uh, but it's the hard road, and it's going yeah. to be – these are the things you can expect because you are in combat with an enemy that hates you. So there's no shortcuts. There's no um, easy path. It's going to be the hard path, and it's going to be something that requires you what most human beings find intolerable, patience. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And we take time to find out then. Do a little research. Do a little common sense research. Who is this person that's telling me what? Who are they associated with? What is their historical path? What is their current association? What is their voting record? What is their lifestyle? Have they actually ever held a job? Do they, you know, what is their experience? You know, they're going to say they represent this, this, and this. Well, do they have, what is their background? What is their introspective perspective that they have as an individual person? 
right. it doesn't take a lot to figure that stuff out. You just do a little bit of research on who is telling me what and what is their association, what is their historical trade, what is their voting record. That'll tell you everything you need to know, whether their actions reflect their their words or 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 is there a conflict? And if it's a conflict, you better be careful. You know, the yeah. inconsistencies are there, and it, when you see them, um, in most cases, they're not misrepresented. You find out who's speaking to who and why and how, and then all of a sudden you get all the answers. That's why I'm, I'm very – I won't debate anyone on the flat earth idea. I've done my research. I'm not a flat earther because every flat earther that does research ends up being a flat earther. No, I have to get a lobotomy. I have to remove half of my brain and, and ignore half of my education to believe that kind of goopy crap. Yeah. Because that's what it is, because there's a right way of doing things and there's a wrong way of doing things. But the simplest fact that I found was that almost everybody that posts the most popular sites about the flat earth and their biblical interpretations and everything, they're Islamic imams pretending to be Christians. Uh-huh. They're all Islamic imams. Guys, it doesn't take a lot of rocket science to do simple research and find out who's get promoting what. And you're going to find out the same thing I found out. There are Islamic um, imams reflecting Islam in a way that you're not making the connection because they're the only people on this planet that demand that you have to believe that the earth is flat or you're less than an infidel. End of story right there. I, That's you, know, you know what an interesting fact is too, Jim, is that there are, just like we are um, – we believe in a round earth and there's a minority that believes in a flat earth in, in Islam. There's a majority that believes in a flat earth and there are, there is a minority that has thought about it, researched it, and they realize that the earth is round and they are treated the same way that we are, except, well, I shouldn't say the same way. Well, no, no, no. Most because of some the time, of them have gone on to eternity to find out, wow, their earth was round. I was right. Yeah, because they're, they're dead. They're killed. Because they've been killed under Sharia law. Yep. And the ones that are giving up the most resistance are Islamic scientists saying, wait a minute, in light of modern science, this is what's really going on. Infidel, death. Yeah. yeah. And they're killed. And all that the we're same trying to say happens is, in, in our account, too, because, you know, they'll, they'll do the best to try to destroy you and I and Eric and other people that believe in around Earth. You know, they'll, they'll not only take that, you know, our thoughts on that, but they take our thoughts on everything. And then they try to twist everything around. You know, and it's, I've seen it more than, you know, more than I have enough to, times. I have to defend a few. Some of my, there, I do have friends that are flat earthers and they're very dear friends and I will defend them and my friendship with them. But there's a difference with them. They're, they're actually so involved themselves in Christian ministry that they don't have the time and probably never thought to take the time to do the research that I have because they're just too busy in other areas. And I respect and understand that, but they don't make it a dividing issue. Huh. You know, they, they're the bottom line with them. Unlike many of them, they don't push it. They don't demand it. They just, they had a perception. They've come in contact with some of the teachings um, by very trusted people that are accepted on a large part of mainstream Christianity. So because they say so, they figure, well, it's good enough for me. I trust yeah. this. So, and, and with their busy life, I get it. I understand it. But they themselves are not caught up in that same spirit of Islam that is just demanding. And, um, you know, you got to cry uncle until they let go. And they're not like that. So I maintain my friendship with them. So there is a very small amount. Flat Earthers that are not caught up in the um, that spirit, that jihadi spirit, but a lot of it is 
associated with that same spirit. And that's why the people are so adamant in making you uh, capitulate to their side or at least um, at least accept them with their thing. And I won't. I don't. I just, okay, you know, if you're going to be insistent like that, you're out of here. I'm. I cut you off from my Facebook. I cut you off from my page. I absolutely, you know, I, you know, I've been taunted by one mutual person that we know, um, saying that, uh, you know, his, his words were, I'm not a, a Bible scholar, but, and then challenges me to a debate. Yeah. Well, you know what the thing is? I am a Bible scholar. Um, I'm not going to apologize for that. And I'm not going to debate you because I don't take pleasure and make I, I would not take pleasure in making you look like an idiot. And I could do that and I won't do that. Right. So I'll right. just refer everybody to my, you know, my video that I have on it. Well, can't do that now, can I? I got it. I don't have a channel to post anything. Right. That yeah. Well, that's what I'm working on now. I'm, I'm working on a bit shoot and a few other places to get them down. Josh Peck has got a, a, a new one I'm uploading as we're speaking. I'm uploading. Um, all my videos to him. So he's going to put it on his, um, uh, he's got a new uh, channel where he's presenting stuff on Renegade. I think it is. Uh, yeah. It's some, something hooked in with sky Skywatch. So I'm putting my stuff on his. So as soon as I get a, a connection, I'll, I'll post that for, you know, an address or whatever. I'll post it on there so everybody can go. But there, my videos are going to reappear on the internet again. I'm mm-hmm. now that I'm almost done with my museum. I've got a little bit of time. I'm going to start getting all this together. And believe it or not, I have a flat earth friend of mine. You, you know him too. I won't mention his name now, but he volunteered to help me redo my and update my, um, website. Cause <laughs> I'm an old guy. I claim, I claim, um, old age slowness or you know teaching yeah. old dogs new tricks or whatever whatever excuse i i have my my website is done from uh front page microsoft front page uh 1998 technology right right, right. <laughs> I, yeah i, I could i no, tell i could tell it's functional but it's it's tough to look at well, yeah. uh, well because you're the computer guru, I mean, you can understand, but I know yes. why you're laughing because you know the technical aspects of, my gosh, a person with a smartphone tries to navigate on my website, and I'd be better just to tell them to go, um, <laughs> you know, just go anywhere but my website because it is not smartphone Mobile friendly, friendly. no. It's made 20 years before it ever existed. So if you try to blow up a picture, you're not going to be able to. You'll just see this little tiny thing. Uh, It'll be harder for you to navigate that than it would be to go to uh, China and try to navigate it, something in Chinese. Right, right. <laughs> just, yeah, that's funny. I got to redo it, but I just have not had the time. So here, my dear friend, Rob, I'll just tell, tell you, and you, you'll remember the rest of them. We've had him on our show before. He's just quite a, a unique guy. So he's a great brother in law. He's, he's a flat earther. He's going to put it together for me and update it and and make it good he's actually waiting on me he's volunteered several months ago and i just have been too busy but um this week that's one of the things i want to get done i want to give him the um the helm the what do they call it the the dashboard or whatever for my website and he's going to redo everything and uh he he does good work so it's gonna it's gonna look nice as well as uh being (laughs) to the 21st century standards yeah you know i I had a laugh because I, uh, you know, we, you and I, we know, um, oh, I, I hate when this happens. Um, 
he's a linguistics uh, expert. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're gonna forget his name. <laughs> no, I, I got it. Do you want me to say it? Yeah, say it. Dr. Mike Heiser. Yeah. Okay. So I was on a website one day where he was debating the flat Earth, and um, now this guy has several degrees. I think he's got a PhD in in ancient Semitic studies. Uh, yes. If you don't know what that means, it means that he's studied languages that are in the Bible, and he knows them backwards and forwards in their original languages, so he knows what he's talking about. Well, he had this guy on there, uh, of several people actually, who were disciples of a certain flat earther that you know you and I have tangled with before, mm-hmm. uh, initials RS, and mm-hmm. uh, this these guys were trying to debate him, and he got he started getting responses which you usually get when when you start overcoming these people uh yep. he started calling them stupid uneducated oh my and, god and i'm like i and i i wrote this is mike kaiser right and i'm like yeah, this is mike kaiser yeah i mean th- oh boy that, that would be like a ditch he, digger telling einstein he was a moron uh, you know? well the thing is he writes the hebrew programs for logos Yes. Programs. This yeah. guy is esteemed as being one of the top five in the entire world on linguistics. He yes. is the man. He is the expert. He's one of only four people on the planet that knows how to read Sumerian of what we know of Sumerian because we still haven't interpreted the whole language. Right. He can read it. Yeah. And you're going to call him more. I mean, that's like an ant calling Einstein an idiot. I mean, it's just. Yeah, you know, I know, I know, and it, it it was just it was so incredible. And I said, Mike, I said, you know, you're wasting your time here because you're trying to explain something that's very easy to understand to some people that don't want to understand it. And I, I'm so tired of putting up with people like this online because what they do is they'll, and I, and I love it, you know. Well, I believe it because this video says it, you know. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. It's like, Okay, well, you know, yeah, you believe it because some guy put it in a video. So if, since he knew how to make a video, he must be smart, you know. And it, but no, that's not always the case, you know. It's anybody. I could sit here and make a video and, and talk about how to put widgets together, you know. I've never put widgets together, but I could try to make myself seem like I've done it before, and I can I can teach people how to do it. And I don't even know what a widget is. I've just heard that term before. But anyway. Um, you know, and it's my goodness. If you're going to try to make a point online, do some studying, cite sources. If you're going to do biblical studies, cite scripture texts and verse. For goodness sakes, don't be, don't come out like an idiot swinging at at somebody that's not there. You know, or or you know, coming out and uh, and uh, you know, with with tiny little uh, with your bare fist trying to come out against Muhammad Ali. You know, for goodness sakes, you know. I, I actually get embarrassed sometimes by these people that come out, you know, and, and say and say some of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life, you know. And, and it's it's like, no, you you know, what universe do you come from? That's I ask that question a lot, and I I also post that thing from Happy Gilmore where he loses that or he gives a dumb answer at the uh, the contest that's in. The guy just basically belittles him, and and sometimes I post that because it's 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 so incredibly moronish what some people will come out with and I, I love the arguments because when they start losing that's when they start calling you stupid an idiot they'll start cussing at you uh, one lady yesterday was calling me an asshat what that is i have no idea um and i really don't care and uh, 
you know, we were, she was insulting Ralph Epperson really bad. And he, you know, he's making a good point and a logistic point, logistical point and a very, um, sane point. And, uh, when she started losing, she started name calling. And I'm like, oh and, and that's yeah. the mentality of these people, you know. Well, that's the true fruit. That's the true fruit of where they're coming from. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And and uh, when they start doing it, I I posted on my Facebook page that um, I said, you know, I'm in the past I've allowed myself to be accepted as a researcher, and I present my information. I said, but now in, in these end of the end times. My true ministry has to come out, and I'm shifting gears. I'm, I'm one that I don't really want to call myself a watchman. I said I know that most of the people that call themselves watchmen are afraid to call themselves a prophet or having a prophetic gift. They would rather be more comfortable in referring to as a watchman because that term prophet has been so abused and misused that they're embarrassed to use it. Mm-hmm. I said, however, but I, I'm shifting gears where I can't be embarrassed. I can't be afraid to use that term. I'm more fearful. I'm not really fearful, but I'm more reluctant to use the term watchman because I'm not a watchman. I'm not a researcher. I am someone with a prophetic gifting. I am a modern New Testament prophet, and I don't mind being subjected or scrutinized to that. I have right. a history. I have a trail. I have my connections. And my life, I think, speaks enough for who I am and what I've done that I can feel comfortable in that. And I'm not perfect. I'm not a superhero. I don't have all the answers. I'm not all together. I'm uh, just merely a Christian struggling to obey my Lord and tell people what he has told me right. to convey to them. So a New Testament prophet isn't even something that you fully can learn through a seminary or through a Bible college because we're not being taught a proper perspective on it. We're, we're being taught... Uh, pretty much by Old Testament standards, which no longer apply to a New Testament prophet. Mm-hmm. New Testament prophet is merely somebody that is a witness that has been guided or led by the Holy Spirit to confirm the logos of the word by a rima of the word. Right. Now, that is where fundamentalism is attacking Pentecostalism because they're not understanding that the rima of the word and the logos of the word are a twofold witness, which is a very Jewish thing. Um, everything is established in the mouth of two or more witnesses. So the witness there is the logos being confirmed by a personal application. When we say, I have a personal relation with Jesus, that is the confirmation being told by the Holy Spirit through us. Now, a New Testament prophet is going to gain the wisdom from experience. So he's going to live the word. And as he lives it, it's on-the-job training. Like if you were in the military, OJT, on-the-job training is how you develop your skills um, and your expertise. In our situation, it's the, the Word of God. We have to apply it. So by applying it, we're fortunate. But we don't. If we get it wrong, we don't get stoned and die for it. But we learn by failing. Right. We can't be afraid of failing because we're doing it in faith, but we're learning, we're honing, we're exercising like an athlete would exercise for um, any kind of performance. He has to exercise his muscle. Our muscle is the muscle of faith, exercising the word, making it a living word. Well, we're not going to get it right the first time. But this is where the scriptures say that that um, that. Uh, now I get the the the, uh, the blind moment here. Uh, part of our on-the-job training is that 
we're going to fail, but in our failure, we're not really failing. We are still winning. We're learning from our mistakes. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the idea there is that my phone is ringing. It's driving me crazy. It's in my pocket. So please be quiet. Go away. There. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So. So we have to realize we need all the grace we can get. In order to have grace, we need to be humble. Humble is not a decision that we make based on an emotion. It's based on the pragmatic idea that I need all of God's grace that I can get. So I make my decision to be humble because I need God's grace. So humility isn't the feeling. It's a decision to be subservient to the situation. Mm Remember, you know, remember I, I first brought in in 2004, you were there, or 2003, maybe you weren't. No, four. I first came down in four or five, I can't remember. Okay, maybe it was four, where um, someone who's on the, um, initials RD, was mocking oh, yeah. and making fun of me about the Nazi UFO thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, literally the Lord, um, now he... He has a master's in history, and he made a statement that he should have known better. And because he made me look like a fool in public in front of everybody, I was ready to, you know, I was ready to give him the one, too. Right. <laughs> Coming right, right back at you, buddy. You're a, you're a master's in history, and you don't even know the answer to your own question. So I was going to slam dunk him, and I didn't because the Lord audibly, one of the few times I heard his audible voice, he says, no, you will win the battle and lose the war for his soul. So I, whoa, man. So I remained silent. Now, in my flesh, man, I wanted to slam dunk that guy, man. I wanted to, uh, you know, put him in his, in his, you know, spot. Had I done that, he's now 20 some years later, he has recapitulated almost all of his preconceived ideas of the ancient alien religion. Now he realizes, man, I'm wrong. These things are not friendly. They're not good. Now he's not on board with accepting Christ or anything, but he certainly has repositioned himself. Had I, as a Christian, slam dunked him in, in front of everybody, that would have been an obstacle that would have never allowed him to come to the conclusions that he's starting to have. So right. I would have won the battle there, but I would have lost maybe the battle for his soul. Yeah. I don't want to be a part of that. No. Now, you know, we're looking at it, the three of us, we're looking at it as a Calvinist. You know, he either is or he isn't. But, you know, others don't get that. That's yeah. what I like about where we're at. We can think like a Calvinist but act like an Arminianist. It's not our job to determine who is and who isn't. We know that there are some that are and some aren't. And that's the way we think, but we act still like an Arminianist. Yeah, right. Now, an Arminianist would, you know, the T-shirt, uh, kill them all like God sort them out. Well, we're doing the opposite. Pray for them all, believe in them all, and let God sort it out. Right. It's not our job to figure out who is and who isn't. We just keep loving them and being a representative of an ambassador to the kingdom and try to be the Jesus they never saw. So Jesus would never slam dunk anyone. Jesus would never humiliate anyone. Whenever Jesus even did rebuke, in his rebuke, there was always a measure of grace and mercy and the, the possibility of repentance. That's right. And that's right. what we got to do. Well, and right now, that's what we have to do with our fundamentalist friends. They're attacking many of us, but they're attacking out of either fear or anger. And we got to distinguish which one and then, you know, kind of figure out yeah. why or how. Well, Jim, what I don't understand is you and I and, and Eric, too, have made a made it quite clear on our radio shows. And if you don't believe us, go back and listen to some of the old shows that we, we call ourselves Baptocostals, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> that means yeah. that means that we believe in sola scriptura, right? The word only, the Bible only. But inside of that, we believe that the Bible says that uh, those who believe will have these signs following them. You know, so we yes, we believe in in, in scripture only. Okay, but we have evidence through the scriptures and also through the things that the Holy Spirit's done in our lives that there is a fuller uh, life to live. Now, I want to make it clear because we just about 10 minutes ago, we were talking about people, you know, that that were, you know, we were we were kind of talking about using the word morons and stuff like that. And I don't want anybody that's listening to think that that's coming over into this conversation. No, it's you not because right. because we 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 love our our fundamentalist brothers like like we love nobody else in the world you know and and uh, and then in like matter we love our Pentecostal brothers like like nobody else in the entire world and frankly if you read church history which I'm I'm currently taking a class in you see that this is just a pattern that's repeating itself from the 20, from the first second and third century they had these arguments back then they had them and they settled them. And for some reason, because mankind cannot learn, it says so in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, that it's impossible for mankind to learn. And he always repeats his history, um, good and bad. Uh, in this case, it's bad. Um, but people just don't learn, and, and, and they become pig-headed. And on both sides, they trade arguments back and forth and insults back and forth. And and even uh, I know I've had a couple of anathemas uh, pronounced against me because I happen to believe that the Holy Spirit can can operate in people's lives, can heal, can um, can you know uh, prophecy, um, can do all those things that that the Holy Spirit did in the first century, and just like the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, let me put it that way, and, and probably the Orthodox, I would imagine have pronounced anathemas against the Protestant Church because the Protestant Church believed that uh, there was supposed to be reform. Um, I think there's over 100 anathemas uh, that the Catholic Church has pronounced against the Protestant Church. But um, in the same way, these, a lot of fundamentalists are pronouncing anathemas uh, against the, um, uh, the Pentecostal Church. And the Pentecostals are doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I went to churches where, man, if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't saved. And I'm like, no, no, that's that's Apostolic not Apostolic churches, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, and some of the gods too. When I went to, you know, you weren't saved if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't speak in tongues, you know. And then you go to Baptist churches, and Baptist churches, well, if you speak in tongues, you you're the devil, you know. Yep. And this yep. this and it, pardon my French, but this crap has got to stop. Well, you know, it you is know? dividing a oh, body. It's, it's gonna stop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why don't you tell us, Eric? Please tell us. Please tell us, Eric, what's going to happen, <laughs> and who who told you that? Let just uh, well, let's, well yeah. you know, I you know, you mentioned the reset that's coming. Um, and who you who first used that term? Wasn't that a term that Mark Taylor had said? Yeah, I don't know if he said that specifically by name, but um, there's a moment in time coming where um, the way that church is done in general is going to change. Um, and it's really kind of the judgment on the 501c3 system, but you know I don't want to go into the big spiel on that because I've already done that once before, um, <laughs> another show. But um, you know, it's going to be a time where um, you know the differences aren't going to matter, right? Yes. Right. 
Right. Right. right. And I, you know, whether okay. that's through per, per persecution or uh, a time that um, the na nation's in struggle um, that drives us all together for right. one common goal, right? In Second Peter, Peter said that um, there would be a time of a great shaking up and yeah. all the things that weren't founded on the rock, on Jesus, um, man-made doctrines and traditions of men would be shook it apart and revealed for what they were. And the only thing that would remain would be those things that were firmly on the rock that right. were, you know, God's doctrine. So this great shaking is in conjunction with uh, this. The, there's a time of a, a revelation, an awareness of the times that we're in where others were going to say, well, where's the promise of his coming? Everything has remained the same as it ever was. And um, since our fathers lay asleep in the, in the the grave that will be the prevailing attitude at that time and then he says that that's why there'll be this great shaking up god is going to do something to shake up all of christianity to, into realizing that all the man-made doctrines they're standing on are not going to keep them safe they're not going to keep them now it's not going to get them killed but it's going to you know in god's mercy he's shaking everything up to reveal the doctrines that are true and the doctrines that are false yeah. So all of a sudden, the, the if if you are as a fundamentalist going to go through a certain amount of um, stuff. Now um, this is only typical in America. We had the one church that I belong to where they're sending the average everyday person, not an official board of official uh, uh, missionaries. Our missionaries were the congregation. You're interested in going to uh, Afghanistan. You're interested in going to um, Nigeria, Pakistan. Okay, well, if you can come up with the money, we'll send you there. We'll help you along your way. And they, so they would do it. Anybody, if they felt led of the Lord, they would give their testimonies as to why and everything. Um, they would examine it and they'd say, okay, if you, you know, here's the test. If God supplies you with the money, we'll, we'll help you the rest of the way. And so by doing that, we've had people, you know, go all over the world in some of the most dangerous uh, positions, but it's the average congregational member that is getting their own personal walk and their own personal faith upgraded to experience things that in the regular structured churches they wouldn't be allowed to because they're not an official elder or an official title holding credential carrying person mm -hmm. they're sending out everyday people to do the work uh themselves so from this that group is being prepared i think in ways for the new church as it breaks down, as the 501c3, the big churches fall apart, the smaller ones are going to have people that are gifted, that are experienced, that are ready, um, you know, for this. They've been trained in the fivefold ministry without maybe necessarily going to a, an official seminary. They've learned by on-the-job training and on-the-job experience. So in that, it's a full gospel place. We believe all the gifts are still here for today. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't stop. Uh, you know, the gifts didn't stop in the first century. They're continuing on. Many scriptures that show that that um, that the latter rain, an outpouring of God's spirit, the latter rain would be greater than the former. Now, yeah. the the before the apostles were sent out to be witnesses to the world. They gathered together on the day of Pentecost. They had the spirit of God come into them, indwell them, and fill them. Important word there, fill them. 
Eric, you once told me, he says, Eric, uh, he, you said, Jim, I, there's something special about cloven tongues of fire. Have you ever looked up that in uh, the Greek? And I said, well, Eric, by gosh, no, I never have. I'll, I'll do that. I'll look it up and, and see what's so special. So the inspiration that was there for Eric to question me. So right away, I'm going running and looking in, in the book. And oh, my gosh, I just what the Lord told me was so amazing. And so this is why. Um, Dave, the, the scripture that you had quoted, these are the signs that will follow them. They will lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. They will speak with new tongues and they will cast demons out. And if anybody pick up a serpent, now this has been missing, you know, so we got people that pick up snakes and think that's some kind of a, in, in the Greek, in that one text, it's talking about having discernment. When you can right. discern what is um, of the Lord and what is of the serpent and basically is what that's referring to of, of the devil. And uh, so it's that discernment. That's part of the signs that will follow them that believe. So the speaking in tongues is part of it. And it's like the gateway to everything else. Right. And that's what uh, and that's what I found, uh, Eric, when I looked at scripture of cloven tongues. Cloven means to separate and divide. And what are they separating and dividing? Hmm. This is what, where it gets real interesting. The cloven tongues meant to separate and divide the left from the right so that the center is a hotline between you and God. The center is... It's the pineal gland, right? It's the pineal gland. It's the distribution of... Um, I'm going to not remember the... Di, what is it? Di, malif- uh, yeah, DMT. Yeah. DMT, yeah. yeah. Now, DMT is on the lower functions is what gives you your moral compass. It gives you a sense of righteous indignation. It puts you into action to stand for justice, to make a stand on what is right. Now, on your upper functions, thanks to modern science, they've been able to put an electro uh, encephalogram hooked up to a person as they're praising and worship praying um, and even during a deliverance. And they found an amazing understanding there is a huge amount of flow of dmt during these times now um you know in paganism shamans found out there's certain um cactuses a certain mushroom peyote where you can trigger off a lot of dmt you can even smoke marijuana and it'll 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 activate dmt into your brain but here's the difference who's pulling who's flicking the switch Is God flicking a switch or are you creating an artificial sense of DMT? If you are flicking the switch, even through Eastern meditation, you are doing it. You're not letting God do it. So when you do it, you're causing an act of rebellion because God turned this off for your own safety's sake. Not so he can control you, so he can protect you. Now, Now, in that, if you allow God through praise, prayer, and worship, he inhabits the praises of his people. He literally, I never realized how real that is. Shame on me in a sense that I couldn't accept this on a simple basis. I'm the kid that asked my, drove my parents crazy saying, why, why, why? Until I got a logical answer. I never have spoken in tongues more now than ever before on a daily basis, all the time for almost everything. Once Eric, you showed me looking that up. And this has just been recent within, you know, last three months or so that, that I've come to understand this deeper aspect of our faith it literally means that 
when you're praying in tongues, you are praying a perfect will prayer, according to Romans 8th chapter. We know not how do we speak, but the Spirit maketh intercession with our spirit in utterings and moanings. Um, so they're incomprehensible to us, but it's a perfect will prayer by God's Spirit directly to God. It's separating or splitting apart the left and the right. The left is the left side of your brain, the right side of your brain. The one side is the artistic, imaginative side. The other side is the logical, engineer type of side. So these are the two potential hindrances from us hearing from God. One is imagination, you know, wondering how everything's going to turn out. And the other one um, is how should I apply myself? Is this logical or rational? This is stuff that is influenced from the world. And so God is saying, when you say a perfect will path, you get a hotline right to God according to the perfect will. But now, one thing that we're always told, wait upon the Lord. He'll renew our strength. A lot of times we don't wait for the answer. Yeah, right. We can actually get the interpretation ourselves. We're Our left and right mind has been put in neutral so that we don't think or act or respond or get creative in our imaginations. They're like on hold. Now we have a clear path up, we got a clear path back. We get the interpretation. We can understand instantly from God what that person needs in a personal way mm -hmm. that can only be applied in a personal way. That's what this movement of the Holy Spirit is all about in the last days. Some people are beginning to tap into this and understand it, and they're getting a whole new surge of power, a new level of being able to deal with people where they can give them a confirmation of the logos by the Rima, where Paul said to defend, you know, the faith um, or contend for the faith. We interpret it on an English level because there's about five words to define it in, in Greek that only defines one word in English, and that's contend. So we get the idea that it means to Fight. apologetics, to, you know, to mm -hmm. debate or to uh, explain ourselves to others. And what it really means in the Greek is to bring, literally bring a personalized application of the kingdom to that individual. Right. All of a sudden, God can give you an understanding of their heart by listening to what comes out of their mouth. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They're going to tell you their fears, their anxieties, their angers. They're going to tell you the root of why they're reacting the way they're reacting. And you can get to the root of the cause. You can address that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you can lay hands on them and they're going to be healed. You can um, perform a, a, a healing, and a physical healing, a bodily healing. What's being released is your DMT working in the supernatural. And it's going into them as a channel to give them supernaturally the healing, the deliverance, the bringing of the kingdom of God to them. You're not giving an intellectual debate. You are bringing these supernatural signs and wonders personalized to that individual's needs. You're not talking the talk. You are bringing the kingdom to them. They're right. experiencing God in the manifested sons of God in these last days. And so the idea then is that Everywhere we think it's reduced down to um, an intellectual thing, it's actually an experiential um, relationship where another scripture, it says, uh, I think it not to. Uh, OK, where is this? Um, let's say Hebrews or Timothy. I think it's second Timothy. Um, 
Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I, I just okay. no, that's all right. it happens. Just slouched myself uh, here. Um, where? Oh, study to show yourself uh, approved. A work approved. of ashamed. Yeah. Right. You're dividing um, the word of truth. Now that uh, that that you need not be ashamed. Yeah. Okay. That. Okay. So we look at um, approved of God and not being ashamed. Second Timothy two fifteen. Yeah. Thank you. So so what we have done is we have reduced this to an, an intellectual formula, and that's not what it means. But our English is one of the simplest, stupidest languages in the world, and Greek is actually pretty sophisticated. And the ultimate uh, language is Hebrew, probably because it's a four-dimensional language. We can get into that some other day, but not yeah, tonight. Right. But what I mean, the thing is that that there are not sufficient words in English to define what is put in a Greek. So they just throw it into a, a, a broad uh, English word to be ashamed is not means, you know, we, we combine the ashamed with um, um, approved and we put it on an intellectual level so that in most of our thinking, we say, okay, we got to memorize God's word so we can have an answer so that we're not going to look stupid. Pretty much, isn't that? I mean, yeah. in, in listening audience, is not that pretty much the way you've always assessed yeah, that? Yeah, it's a prideful thing. Talk, yeah. Yep. But yet we go back to the Greek and we find out, oh my gosh, it's totally different. That word um, approved means to make ourselves useful. In order to make ourselves useful, we are right. to study, to show ourselves able. Mm -hmm. Able. Right. Workmen need not be ashamed means to be left without hope, mm -hmm. confident of a sure foundation, right. and the administration of the supernatural gifts on that individual to bring them the kingdom. That's what it means. It's relational. It's all about relationship. You can know all kinds of stuff about God, and you can intellectually convey that. Mm -hmm. But you only know about him. How about knowing him intimately so that you have a relationship so that you can be the manifestation of the sons of God in these last days to bring the kingdom to them by knowing him, knowing his mind, knowing his heart, having the motivation in every situation to uplift this individual, to give them the Jesus they've never seen, to bring them the wonderful manifestation works. What did the disciples do after the time of Pentecost? They went into the whole world and laid hands on the sick and they were healed. They, their shadows casted out demons as they walked through the streets. Mm -hmm. And yet we're promised that in the last days, the latter rain is going to be doing even greater things. Well, that means, you know, I don't know, guys. I mean, still, I understand this and I'm beginning to understand a whole new level of application. But my shadow does anything but remove light to darkness. Right. right. <laughs> I am not there yet, I guess, am I? No. But we all are headed towards that way, and we need to be open to that. So what is greater now, than uh, casting demons out and healing people? Oh, come on, Eric. You're just trying to bait me. You give the answer, man. You know it. It is awesome. It is awesome. Um, actually, I'm... A little bit of a loss right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, bro. The the most amazing thing that oh, can happen. Yeah, I think I know. But go we ahead. We can convert our enemies to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. That is the greatest gift that we have been given. That we can convert our enemies and change them to become our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Think of that. To our enemies, 
Yeah, because we can bring the kingdom to them. You cannot resist love. When you give an answer in love, you can't resist it. Love wins. Love always wins. You be that person that is so edifying to that. That person is trying to tear you apart verbally. You know, when they talk about the two witnesses, you know, they're just fire. They're going to be human flamethrowers. You know, (laughs) oh, come on, man. Whoever got that goofy idea? I want to, you know, in my flesh, I'm still human. You know, I get these cartoon pictures, man. Well, you know, Uh, I don't know. People do the best they had. Yeah, because, well, hell, Lindsay led you and I both to the Lord. Thank God. His eschatology might have been whacked out and goofed out. He did the best with what he had. What, 50 years ago? Mm-hmm. But, you know, prophecy is going to be in progress to our awareness of the cosmos. That's what he told Daniel. He says, shut up and seal up. <laughs> Nobody's going to understand this right now anyway. Right. So shut it up and seal up until the time of the end when knowledge shall increase and people run to and fro. And as people run to and fro, doesn't mean you get an airplane ticket and go traveling. You look at to and fro and see what that's talking about. It's talking about moving up and down inside the earth and outside of the earth. It's talking about to and fro to the four corners of the universe traveling in places space time dimension that actually man has no business doing but we're going to do it mm-hmm. and that's what's happening right now remember yeah. we a couple of eight weeks ago we had that secret space program stuff man we got technology most people would blow their minds if we knew that we were that far ahead uh and it's all being held back because it's going to be used to trick bag all of us into believing a stupid lie right you know you know you get back to um yeah, he asked the question, you know, will fundamentalists ever be able to work with, with uh, Pentecostals? And you know what? If you go back to the Old Testament, you can see, and you can see an evolution in it, too. Um, remember when uh, Moses was called by God and he was said, you know, I want you to go to Egypt and tell them that, uh, well, in the Hebrew, it's yod heh has sent you, you know? And there was only mm-hmm. certain priests that probably knew that name. So when he came up and he said, yod heh vav has sent me, you know, or a lot of people say Yahweh, um, they knew that name. And so they knew that he was bona fide. Okay. Yep. Well, anyway, yep. so so Moses is pleading with God and he says, well, you know, why are you sending me? Because I'm a man that, you know, I'm not very astute when it comes to talking. And he says, well, I'm going to send you to your brother Aaron and he'll help you. Now, Aaron was a priest, and I don't know what priests practiced back in Egypt. You know, they probably just had some kind of watered-down um, religion, but they probably had what was up to that time the, the most current version of the Torah. Uh, no, not Torah, because that wasn't written yet, but uh, Genesis, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so they knew. So anyway, you got a guy that can't speak that's going to a guy that's probably pretty versed in the scripture that they had up until that time. So what are we talking about? We're talking about a guy that's been up to the top of the mountain and has seen the back of God, Thus, he has been, he's seen miraculous and practiced miraculous going to a guy that is an expert in scripture so that that expert in scripture can speak for him. And we see it when they go to Pharaoh's court, you know, all of a sudden. But we see a, we see a change. We see that Moses is starting to get bolder. He, every time that he goes to Pharaoh's court, he starts getting bolder and becomes more of the, the talker. And Aaron becomes less of the talker. But at the same time, Aaron is with him every time. Um, I think Aaron is the one that had to had to had to put the pole into the water and it turned to blood, right? Am I mistaken about that? He said, "Aaron, dip your pole in the water and it'll turn to blood." Or am I thinking about the uh, the uh, Charlton Heston version of the? <laughs> but anyway, it might have um, been the Charlton Heston version, but it doesn't matter. Your your yeah, analogy well, is awesome. So, it so is, you see, you yeah. see this. Well, that was a live action 
movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Vividly, <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> the, the godly Technicolor. But uh, right. so you had you had the guy that was strictly um, in the word and probably didn't believe that much in miracles because what were you believing? Because your people are enslaved and, you know, and there's nothing happening to, help to bring them out of slavery. And then you got the guy that has all the answers because he's actually spent time with God coming to him. So you see Aaron becoming more like Moses and Moses becoming more like Aaron. And I think that if, if uh, fundamentalists and, and uh, Pentecostals got together and put aside all their their differences that the Pentecostals would say, you know what, we spent a lot of time with the Spirit, but not really in the Word. And the fundamentalists said, we spent a lot of time in the Word, but not really with the Spirit. They could learn from each other. And my goodness, what we could take the world by storm, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I got to cough. So gotta... that, that is a great analogy, Dave. That is awesome. The Lord and just it gave is. that that's, to me, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, that's the importance of the unity. We need one another. My gosh, if it wasn't for my fundamental, I mean, I grew up, unlike you guys, um, uh, well, you you had a Catholic background, um, Dave, but my background was uh, Darwin, and my dad was a backslidden uh, Baptist, so when he felt guilty, my, he'd send my brother and I to a little Baptist church down the street, and we'd go to Sunday school. At least we were hearing good, sound, basic doctrine. Mm-hmm. We had good Bible stories that weren't just fairy tales, but they were, you know, they had some more ethical applications uh to the real god of the bible and jesus is you know in in his proper perspective enough that it did last and it overcame the um i was raised basically on darwin and uh so the first church that i started going to right down the street after i got saved was a little baptist church and they weren't afraid to raise their hands up and praise and worship the lord they were they were a baptist church very fundamental very um typical and yet the part that was not so typical was they had a pastor there that believed that the gifts were still here and he was just on the verge of exploring it this is in 1974 oh i don't don't doubt that he found it then (laughs) well yeah i'm sure he did man was it was a, a neat place but you know going there um as i was going there that was the the first contact i had fundamentalists and boy they just drill in your head no matter what experience you have it has to go back to book chapter text and verse in the scriptures i thank god that i had that fundamental principle pounded in me because i already had way too many supernatural paranormal experiences as a child being a victim of abduction um and all my life having different supernatural experiences so the fundamentalist exposure made me aware that everything had to line up with the word. And I am right. so thankful for that because from that, my faith launched off. I, I needed to know the supernatural power of God to match the supernatural crazy background that I had come from. And as I got it, uh, you know, almost from the first, I mean, the, the very next year, mm-hmm. um, I was introduced into uh, the Shalom Coffee House, which is of the remnant of the Jesus movement back in the late 60s. Right. And, uh, you know, I, and of all things, I was invited. I, I was going to my wife's church. It was uh, probably, Eric, more like what you had come from, kind of a. Um, there's a distance between their liturgical. They were basically Catholics that didn't uh, speak Latin, but they were basically a very liturgical type formal worship and, you know, stand up, sit down, and also with you kind of a, a situation and nothing personal about God. But there was one guy there 
Um, and I remember we were going to, I was going to marriage counseling with my wife and um, the pastor was using transactional analysis as a form of um, counseling. And I asked him, why aren't we, why aren't you quoting from the Bible? Oh, the Bible's just words. You can make it say it wherever you want. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, you know, that was his oh, idea. So, yeah. So we were headed for big trouble. There was this one guy in a congregation. though. he's smiling and happy and just praise the Lord. How are you doing? And going and shaking hands. Every, and I'm looking at all these, uh, nervous Lutherans and they're just like, you know, looking for the closest door or escapeway. They didn't oh, want to even contact this guy, man. So me, I had to know what it, wow. I said, so I went up to him and I said, you're, there's something different about you. And, and uh, I just want to know what it is, you know? And, and so as he talked, he could discern that I had been saved, but didn't have a clue of what, you know, what it was all about. So he says, you know, I, I go here because my wife goes here, but I go to a place called Brightmore Tabernacle, and we're going to have a guest speaker tonight. Maybe you'd like to come by and, ch and check it out. And I said, well, who's the guest speaker? Um, God, what's his name? Hal Lindsey. Oh, okay. I said, Hal Lindsey, I, I read his, that's how I got saved. He's going to be there tonight? Man, you couldn't keep me away from that place. Right. So I went to Brightmore Tabernacle. Here's people, man, with their arms up in the air. Some of them are crying. Some of them are laughing. I saw one up in the altar, and he's kind of dancing around, doing some crazy chicken dance. Right. This was the craziest jacked-out away thing I've ever seen in my life. But you know what? There was a presence there that blew me away. I knew it was the presence of God. I couldn't understand what I was seeing around me. It was craziness. But that overwhelming presence of God was so overwhelming. I just knew I had to stay. It was freaking my wife out. She couldn't wait to get run out of that place. It was, you know, these people are all crazy. They're kooks. <laughs> no, don't you feel that presence? Don't you sense it? She couldn't feel anything. She couldn't sense anything. Right. I was blown away. I knew I was where I needed to be. So I... I listened to the sermon and everything. It was awesome. Then a young man, a little bit younger than me, came up to me afterwards and invited me to this coffee house. He says, you like this? Well, come on over here. I think you really like this. The young man ended up being a mentor of mine. He wrote several books. He was a Walter Martin uh, wannabe. He taught me how to go back to the original languages and everything. I ended up on uh, at Shalom Coffee House where I grew up, where we had Bible studies. We took notes, took tests, uh, yet we did it in a way that was not demeaning or belittling to anyone but it was a situation where everybody had to be able to have a chance to express themselves so that iron was sharpening iron this was uh like koinia fellowship uh where everybody had a chance to give their input their insights we would discuss everything there was such an intimacy there that it set a precedence for my entire future ministry in the bike ministry in everything that i was ever involved in being an assistant pastor to this other little uh, what i called a uh a stealth Baptist church um, where the entire core, this, this place ended up breaking up, but the entire core ended up becoming uh, full gospel because of the contact and influence they had with me. We did everything um, very differently, but in a way that it was biting for them. So anyways, what I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of showing you is that set a precedence for my entire ministry, even up to today, that there's a certain way of coming together and studying God's word that needs to be in order to get the most richness intended for us, and that is to be able to share with one another. Everybody, there's no big eyes and little U's. Everybody's on the same 
level of sharing so that the experienced person considers the brand new Christian, the brand new Christian has respect and appreciates their elders and listens to the wisdom of, of the elders. Every works, everything worked in harmony that way. It was like on the job training. So this is what we're going to get back to. This is what was missing since the first century church. And we're just beginning to rediscover it. And yet, thanks to God, this is something that God had given me a, a foundation for, for anything I ever did in studying. And I, I just love your analogy, Dave. I mean, it was it was the need of both camps coming together. Instead of arguing and fighting about, you know, uh, especially – you know, everything comes in package deals, right? I mean, so the fundamentalists say that there are no gifts for today, um, but yet they'll say once saved, always saved. The Armenians will say, um, no, you got to work out your, uh, you know, yeah, but your free will, you can jump in and out. So here's this little Holy Spirit that like a bird flies in and out of you, depending on how you perform and how you function. Um, and yet the, the fun, the, the, Calvinist is stuck with something where it says, for it is impossible when once enlightened to the world to come. And we are stuck with this idea that um, somebody's name was blotted out of the book of life. Right. Well, we're stuck with that. We got to figure out how that happened and where did it happen and whom did it happen to? Because it's in there. And the implication is if it happened or they're saying a warning, if you do this, you'll be blotted out of the book of life. Well, that means it's possible then. So there must be an element of truth that the Armenians know. Then there's another one that says, whom he foreknew, he predestined. And I will put enmity against thy seed and the seed of the woman. Oh, two seeds is plural. Oh, there's something about once saved, always saved. So instead of fighting each other on it, why don't you get together? Right. right. And you find out that both Jacobus Arminius and John Calvin are trying to address salvation on a one-dimensional level. And we have... Three dimensions. We're made in the likeness of God. We have right. a body, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. Mm-hmm. Now, if you guys sit down and look at each other as having a piece of the puzzle and put it together, oh my gosh, we all agree that the body has to die and be raised new. Right. Because we're not even in a body that we were intended to be in. Mm-hmm. It's part of the fall. Okay, we got that one right. But now we have a spirit where. We call upon the name of the Lord, and God puts our Holy Spirit into our human spirit. And together, there is a bond or a paying tribute with a full intention of getting everything back. Right. You're not going to lose anything. So this is like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so the Spirit is sealed until the day of completion. Mm-hmm. And what's its job? Its job is to transform the soul into something that's going to be eternal and last. It's the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. So we have to work out our salvation with trembling and fear. We have to realize that what is it profit to gain the world and lose your soul? And what price shall you pay for your soul? Mm -hmm. But both camps have to realize, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that also shall he reap. Right. Oh, my gosh. We got a complete picture here, don't we? We are stuck with two things that are truths. And we have to deal with them and see, find out why and how they're truths. And then we have two things that are in common. My gosh, we're not conflicting with each other. You have the understanding of the salvation of the spirit, and you have the understanding of the salvation of the soul. Quit arguing and fighting with each other. Get together and work and see how both of you have transparencies. And when you put it together, you get a whole picture. Yeah. You know, um, 
I, I can I can understand where the fundamentals come from though because you know back both of us got saved back in the seventies right yeah and and um, back in the seventies you know part of the Jesus movement which would I guess would, many would call charismatic back then it was kind of moving from Pentecostal into charismatic and um, so what did we sing about we sang about the blood of Jesus we sang about God's mercy. Um, a lot of the psalms were turned into songs back then, as the deer pants for the water. Sure, yeah. um, You know the twenty-third psalm, um, the Lord's prayer. Um, a lot of a lot of the songs that we sang were actually was actually scripture put the song. Okay, but as as um, Pentecostalism or let's just say charis, charis, charismaticism or however you want to say that has evolved, it's you got to admit it's got kind of weird. Um, and, and it's gotten narcissistic, Dave. It's yeah. gotten narcissistic. Well, not just that, but it's gotten it's gotten so weird that you know, and you can see where John MacArthur comes from because he's he, you know when he wrote that it was just about the time that Bethel Church was starting to get famous, and Bethel Church was was teaching that you could lay on the graves of saints and get the extra Holy Spirit that was left over oh, when they died. God. They were they were teaching all these these false doctrines. And and you could see where where maybe he got alarmed about that, and it's like, wow, man, you got to stay away from this stuff. And and at the same time, the music started changing too, from a Christ-centered or what he did for us to what we do for him. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I come and sacrifice my praises to you. Oh, you know, what, what about you know? And all like I do, me, me, all I, 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 it's like, come yeah, on, man. What about that song? And all I do, I worship you. Well, I can't sing that song because not in all I do, I, I don't worship him. In all I do, I blow it a lot of times, and that's not worshiping him, you know. Um, and there's other songs where you know they're singing about I do this and I do that. I'm sorry, it's not about us. It's about him. So I can understand where they're coming from with all the weirdness and everything. And um, so I, I'm totally in line now. Now, a few years ago, um, we were looking for a church and, and we left one that was getting a little strange. But um, we decided to go to a Baptist church and we went there maybe two or three times. But I'll tell you, the, the worship was an excellent worship. Uh, the messages were good because it was straight out of Scripture. You know, there was no what I did for Jesus. It was all what Jesus did for me. And I found mm-hmm. a lot of comfort there. I found a lot of comfort and I felt a lot of peace there because it was Bible centered and it was Christ centered. Uh, whereas we were going to other churches, you know, it was all about what I did for Christ and, and, um, uh, and everything else. And, you know, and, uh, and, and not using the name of Jesus or talking about the blood sacrifice of Jesus or our sins, you know, thankful for being forgiven for our sins. And I'm like, where is the God in this? Where, where is Jesus in this? Where is his blood? Where's the, the atonement? And and I was like, man, every time I go, and then uh, th- there's a there's a lack of uh, discernment when it comes to praise against uh, praise versus worship. You know, I've always equated praise to, or excuse me, worship to sitting with uh, someone that you really love, telling them how much you love them, and that's usually done in a quiet atmosphere. You know, praise is you know you it's yeah. like a baseball game. You know, hey, the Yankees are winning, hallelujah. You know. Um, or whatever team you might pick. Okay. And I don't want to start anything here, but anyway, um, you know, that's, that one is praise and one's worship and, and it gets mixed up. So when you got somebody, um, a pastor or a music minister singing, um, a worship song that's supposed to be sung sl- uh, slowly and in adoration, and you got some, um, some guy in the background banging drums, you know, I can't, I can't sit there and and have a quiet, intimate talk with my Lord when there's 
drum banging going on in the background. You know, I just can't do it. So there's there's been a, a big confusion, a big uh, change in the uh, in the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement that uh, I, I, I could see many would find distasteful. But at the same time, I don't want to throw out the, the goodness with that. You know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, right. the healing. I've seen healings. I've, I've, we've seen angels, you know, and stuff like that. So I know these things exist, and I'm not going to throw that out. So that's why you and I, we call ourselves, and my wife too, uh, Baptocostals. You know, we, yep. like, we, we like the firmness of the word and the being in the word and, and, and backing up everything with Scripture. But at the same time, we like the freedom of being able to worship God with our voices and in other tongues and, and, uh, and watching miracles happen, watching lives uh, change in an instant, you know, and, and, uh, and just feeling the presence of God. Because I, you know, while I felt comfortable in the Baptist church, I felt like I was with brothers and sisters. I didn't feel the presence of God like I felt in some, uh, in some Pentecostal churches that, uh, that I've been in. You know, so well, you know, when when I had the bike ministry and I had it was a full gospel, but my fundamentalist tendencies were there too. And I used to tell people, I used to warn them. I said, "Now you're coming up forward for prayer. I want you to know that we don't post catchers here in this church. If God's going to put you down, He's going to catch you." Right. And we don't. And I and I was pretty adamant about that. We're not going to post catchers now for. Some of you that are in the Pentecostal realm, you know what I'm talking about. For the fundamentals, it's probably one of the things that you find offending, you know, where, you know, they'll have um, a prayer line. And all of a sudden you see two people that always get behind the individual just in case they fall down. They're going to be there to catch them or cover their dress up or whatever. It's like, no, um, that is a Pentecostal cultural expectation that something has to manifest in something sees to prove that, uh, you know, that God's working. This is what TV evangelists use to get money for uh, their support <laughs> and it became a cultural expectation so that there's certain cues if you're Pentecostal where you know you you need to fall down now yeah. um, when they start raising their voices like that and, and and trembling as they're calling that's a hint okay it's time to fall down or when they tap your head or when they um, you feel a slight push of their hand as they're praying over you that's your cue you're supposed to fall down now yeah well, exactly. with me, when I go through that, that's my cue that you are not going to make me fall down. I'm not going down unless God yeah, knocks I do me down. Same quit thing. pushing, quit shoving. I remember uh, one church we were at, there was this little four foot eleven uh, uh, woman evangelist, and she's uh, pushing on this guy that's six foot four. I mean, this guy was, you know, he was tall. And he's bent over backwards like he's doing the, um, what's that, the limbo or something, you know. Uh-huh. He's looking at me going, Jimmy, what should I do? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I looked at him and I just, I went, I, I made a motion with my hand, like, just, just fall down. Just, just go ahead and do it. Let's not make a, you know, a stink about it. These people are good, but it's just part of a culture thing. So I explained to him later what was going on. But so he went ahead and just fell, you know, made him happy. But I mean, it's just, it's so stupid. It doesn't need to be that way. Let God be God and right. worship, you know, the way it's supposed to be. I have noticed, though, in some of the churches that I've been to that, really are aware and trying to do the best they can with following things. They will start out with clap happy songs, worship songs, but they always end on the quiet note. Right. And it's because we enter in through worship and praise. So they go hand in hand. There is a place for those songs. Right. Some places that don't really have any place for songs are songs that aren't even worship or praise songs. They're songs that when you're driving down the road, 
you know, it's a rock and roll tune or whatever. And it's a song that isn't even about worship and praise. It's more of an entertaining song, a song to uplift you and edify you as you're driving down the road. But it's got nothing to do with praise and worship. It's a song of entertainment. Leave it in entertainment. Don't put it in the church. It's not appropriate because then while well, you're done, all you are is you're on a giant Christian MTV watching the good video and, and the, all the, the giant uh, football size screens and, and the lights and the, the professional entertainment. Right. Uh, not here to be entertained. We're to be a participant in worship and praise. So keep it simpler or something, you know, and, and what I've noticed is that they'll start out with the clap happy songs and then they'll go into a, um, a time of mellowness and serenity. There was a song in the late nineties. It was kind of a transition, you know, making us trying to make us more aware of it. I think it was an old vineyard song. And my first new age show that I had ever done, you know, as a Christian, I had worship, worship and praise music playing in the background. And so I had one song from vineyard and, um, it was that remember it what it was well i i'm going to sing it for you i remember it i'm going to sing it for you because this song all of a sudden everything went to dead silence there's 900 new age booths in this place and before they started they had this buddhist type prayer uh thing where they you'd hear a bell going ding you hear everybody going (laughs) ding and then a moment of silence and then a moment of silence i had my uh cd player on my dvd play no they didn't have dvds then it was a cd player and i had a cd in there here's what played and i started to i panicked and i was going to push it and the lord said no let it go i'm getting back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry for the way i've made it it's all about you then i turned it off uh uh-huh. man 900 people heard that that's cool that was awesome man yeah. that was Oh, cool. My first one that I ever did. So it was it was helping me to understand, to be bold. I just planted a major gospel seed into 900 New Age Fruit Loops. That that's what worship is all about. That's what what they're doing. Om is all about. It's all about Jesus. Right. So, you know, Lord, I'm glad you did that. That was pretty slick, man. Thanks. That was really cool the way you arranged that one. It was. It was a divine appointment, man. It was awesome. That's so. uh, Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, you know, it's what it's what we can do if they can if they can publicly read rocks and auras and and uh, uh, do all of their witchcraft pronosticating. Why can't I be there to pray with people, to lay hands on people, to see them being delivered and set free? If they can do it, I can do it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God. Now, you know, that whole show I spent. <laughs> I think I spent about. And this is my first one. I was new, so I had to buy a lot of you know stuff and everything. I think I spent about eight hundred dollars, and I made uh, twenty five dollars. Right, right. But I got to talk to eight different people that weekend mm-hmm. that changed their lives forever. It, how do you put a price tag on that? You it can. was worth it, and it set up sense for how I was going to do shows for the for the next uh, forty years. Yeah. No, 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 thirty years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you know, you and I found out because we would do tables in Roswell a lot. Um, we, I went down there fully expecting to talk to new age people, to talk to, um, you know, Satanists and everything else. And, and our major audience was Christians who came seeking to find out the truth about UFOs and alien abduction. 
Yep. And and it all yep. come to our table. And I don't know how many times I heard, you know, I always knew there was a demonic element about this, and I want to thank you for straightening me out. You yep. know? And and that's why we were there. We were there to minister to our brothers and sisters, not necessarily. I mean, we did have a couple of strange encounters come to the counter, you know, our tables and and stuff like that. But then we handled them as they came. But um, the most part, we were there to help the Christians to understand, no, this thing is not, it's not um, space brothers from another planet. There are no space brothers out there. Um, it, this is all a, a big lie. It's a, it's been happening since the beginning of time, and it's just taken another pace, you know. And once you explain to him about Enoch, you know, and, and all that stuff, and uh, you know how it happened before the flood, it's happening again. My goodness, the people were just amazed, and they they would walk away just uh, befuddled, you know, that they they believed all this time that you know this was uh, space brothers coming to help us that somehow the Lord was going to use these these beings to uh, bring us to uh, maybe a higher enlightenment or whatever. Yeah, but uh, no, we, we got to straighten out a lot of people. And um, and it was totally amazing. I, I never walked away from one of those uh, one of those uh, days or one of those weekends uh, without uh, feeling a complete satisfaction that we that we did what we were supposed to do while we were down there. Yep. Amen. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was good. It was, you know, it's funny when I when I was called back home, to come back home, I was devastated. I thought, what did I do wrong? You know, what, I mean, you know, at the end of the week, I was having, you know, eight or nine divine appointments in a time that's the driest time, you know, of evangelism that we've ever had. And so why would you leave? Why would I leave when it's been so fruitful? Right. And I really struggled that when I first got back to Detroit. Then I realized that's when I remembered that prophecy that was given years ago. I remembered um, some of the other uh, things I became aware of, uh, Kim Clements' prophecies. Um, then I go, oh, family, you weren't meaning my personal family. You were meaning the family of God. This is ground zero. This is where the revival is going to start. Right. You called me back here because I needed to be here. Okay, I get it. I'm going where? No, hey, I had a my place firebombed. I got, you know, uh, you want me to go back to Detroit? In the inner city? Right. No. Why would I do that? Because nobody else is, Jim. And you know the hood. You you know, I, I mean, the, all the time I passed the King's kids, it was in the, the, what is now the worst, toughest neighborhood in all of Detroit. Worse than the Cass Corridor. Matter of fact, there's video musics now uh, out with some of the um, drug gangs boasting of how, you know, they're from Detroit. Now that I'm working in the inner city of Detroit, I'm not perceived as some, you know, well-meaning suburbanite that's come in they when they find out that i had pastored for over 10 years in brightmore right they go well they they i mean they're wide-eyed and look at me they say well well you, you know what the hood's all about and i said you got it man after after ministering and growing up in that neighborhood there ain't a city on this earth that i'm uh you know shy or afraid of i i've seen the worst and been in the worst and now no place on this planet is intimidating to me. I can go anywhere. I survived <laughs> Brightmore. <laughs> right, right. So, so I mean, so it helps me build a rapport up with them. They know that they're talking to someone that has shared the pain and the experiences of living in a, a, a destitute neighborhood that all society's given up on. Right. And they know I know what they feel because I've, you know, grown up the same way. And uh, 
I don't it's just amazing how we are who we are today, all of us, everybody in the hearing audience. That's why I call it quantum nostalgia is my little cafe that I got in my museum. This means quantum is the lowest minute detail of anything. Nostalgia is a bittersweet reflection looking back in the past. So you look at every minute detail of your life and look at it in the bittersweet realization that good or bad, everything led you to be who you are today. And the reason you are what you are today is for what you're going to do tomorrow. No accidents, no mistakes, everything designed by God to make you who you are now. When you look back in a bittersweet uh, um, look at all the details in your life, you'll see how you never lost. You always won. You always pulled through. You always survived because God intended you to have your character molded and shaped exactly who you are now for the moment that you're about to live in in the future. Right. Quantum nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, yeah. Very good. Man, we covered uh, a lot tonight. You're not kidding. <laughs> I think I was thinking cool. back about everything we talked about. You know, and we so, got, yeah, I, we, we've got such a glorious future coming in this. Um, you know, to get the back uh, kind of back to where we were, where we were talking about where we were started. Um, you know, we like you said, we've covered a lot of material about. Um, about uh, what we wanted to talk about tonight and uh, also about some of the stuff that might be coming down the road here in the next few months. And, uh, you know, I, I am very um, – I, I talk to a lot of people and because uh, that's what I get to do all week long. You know, I mean, especially at work, I get to talk to people and I get to talk to people that are, are quite lucid and I get to talk to people that uh, that some would consider are way out there, you know. And I, I am finding out that the people that are way out there are the ones that understand this um, and the ones that are seem to be lucid, uh, including some of the people I work with, are the ones that uh, either don't know or never will understand what's going on in uh, both the political world, uh, especially the spiritual world. Because when people are, are, uh, are um, immersed in that spiritual stuff and, and their mind has been... Um, uh, corrupted maybe is a good word or, or, um, uh, breach is probably a better word. Um, by that, um, the other side, they're, they're quite, um, they know, they know what they're talking about. You know, they really do. And, and, uh, uh, they, they know that about the powers of this world and, and about how the, how the powers of this world work and stuff like that. Cause they've been down and dirty in the ditches living it. You know, and I and I quite I, I consider myself to be quite blessed because I I learn a lot. You know, I learn a lot from such people um, that I, that I would never learn. And and I, I mean, I could take all the courses I wanted to in college about psychology and psychiatry and, and everything else. And and that's all book knowledge. And that's good stuff. There's nothing wrong with book knowledge. But practical knowledge is, is always more more better. That's a New Jersey term. Sorry. Um, it's always much better than, um, than, than book knowledge. I've, I've worked with people that, you know, could tell you about drugs on a submolecular, um, uh, mode, you know, about how it works, how it goes through your body and everything. But at the end of the day, if their tire, if their tire goes flat out in the parking lot, they don't know how to change it. 
Yep. You know, you can have that paperwork on your wall that says you have a PhD or a, uh, you know, master's in something or even a bachelor's degree. But if you can't put it to practical use uh, when something, you know, um, very simple happens, you know, I've learned from, from, from homeless people about how to live under bridges. I mean, I didn't ask for that, you know, but you know, they tell me, they tell me, you know, this is what you do when it gets cold out. This is what you do when right. it gets hot out. When the police chase you away, this is where you go. You know, it's, it's, it's street survival. Yeah. No, yeah. Exactly. No. Yeah. I'll never use you that know, information, but I get it, you know. You know, unfortunately, I have a personal uh, situation in that way. Uh, my oldest son, um, He's pretty high up in corporate America. Uh, he does the personal computer uh, preparation and everything for all the executives uh, of General Motors. He knows them personally. He knows their children. And, you know, set up games in their homes or whatever. He's in their homes. And I used to jokingly call him, you know, he was kind of like a, a their butler more than just a, um, a computer expert for their uh, for their personal computers. But he's um, <laughs> actually connected with all the families and everything, knowing them on a more intimate basis. And uh, and it's true. But, you know, his his life has become so much wrapped around that area. Plus, he's a second degree black, black belt instructor in uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu. Um, and uh, he's devoted a lot of time, energy and efforts and all of that. But as far as understanding the times that we're in. He is a Christian, and he does use it as a, a ministerial capacity to a certain degree. But his assessment of my ministry says, well, Dad, you know, you've got a specialized ministry to, you know, people with problems, people that are, you know, kind of kooky, nutty, that nobody else would talk to. You talk to them. And so that's kind of like your ministry. You're able to tell them about all the UFO alien stuff because um, they're more open to it or whatever. And I said, so you think that my ministry is just an outreach to them. Well, yeah, that's all you do. I said, no. I said, Jay, it's like this. The, do you remember the story in the Bible where the Lord said to go and invite everybody out to a meal, to a banquet? And all the rich, all the affluent, all the ones that were pretty self-satisfied with the world rejected it. They didn't want to come to that. A bunch of riffraff and a bunch of, uh, you know, everybody else is going to be there. Nothing special there for them. And they didn't want to come. The only people that come were those who were broken in spirit. That had never been invited to anything before. And they were excited to be invited to anything. Because nobody ever bothered to pay attention to them to invite them to anything. So they're excited. They want to go. I said, that's what my ministry is, to, uh, Jay. I've gone to all the people everywhere. And invited them to understand and know what needs to be important for every living person on this planet. The only ones that are ready to listen are those that are broken and stepped on and trampled on by the world. Right. That's who I minister to because that's where I came from too. I, you didn't come from that. I did. And I understand it and I know it. And the Lord knows me. I'm going to go where nobody else is going because nobody else is going there. So I want to go there to make the difference. Right. I said, but. I said, it's just like you. You had a chance. You have a chance to come and know and learn, but you're not interested because you're satisfied with what you have. Right. And you don't see the need. And neither does anyone of, of your background. Mm -hmm. So you're going to need it. You just don't know it. And when you do, I'll be here to catch you 
to help you. Well, um, that's really cool because you know, we um, we often wonder why you know why we we don't see uh, more people raised from the dead, more more limbs being restored that were never there before, or you know we're we're having gone for years and uh, we never seem to see stuff like that. And I think it a lot of it has to do with the society we live in. First of all, a lot of people don't believe that can happen, even if they say they do. Second of all, um, there's no need for it right now because, you know, in, in many cases, even with Obamacare or whatever you want to call that travesty, um, you know, you get sick, you go to the doctor, he gives you medicine, you get better. But, you know, I've, there was a book we read that was called Like a Rushing Wind, and it was about some uh, individuals that are brothers and sisters, basically, that lived down in, I think it was Indonesia, and it was written back in the 60s or maybe the late 50s. And I remember that. It was a mighty rushing wind. My, yeah, like a mighty rushing I, wind. Yep. Yeah, yep. that and, was – was and, that Watchman Nee? No, no, it was some other guy because this was in Indonesia. And, yeah, okay. Uh, I, and, I know the book, though. I remember reading it. Yep. Yeah, when their backs were against the wall, that's when the miracles happened. Yep. I remember one story, yep. you know, they, they were being pursued by some um, – I think some Muslims were out to kill them or something. And I can't remember if it was that or if it was just some – uh, Aborigines or whatever. Um, and there was a river, it was a winter time or the rainy season, I guess you would call it down there. And the river was swollen. I think it was like three times wider than it normally is. And it was rushing and everything else. And, and so God told them, just start walking, start walking across the water. <laughs> and they did all of them. They walked across the water and got to the other side. And when the other people tried to pursue them, they drowned, you know, um, just yeah. kind of, it reminded me a lot of uh, the Red Sea crossing. But um, anyway, so they came back there. I think it was not long after that. And, and they were um, they were held in high esteem. They were revered. It was like, you, you're the one that worships the God that that works miracles. We want to know more. You yeah. know? And it's it's when I, I, I truly think it's when we are we as Christians are are pressed to such a point where we don't have doctors, we don't have money, we we don't have all the luxuries that we have, and when we maybe have to live out in the cold or live in our, our vehicles or something like that, and there's nothing else that we can turn to, or no, excuse me, sorry, Lord, no one else we can turn to, yes. that uh, that's when these miracles are going to start happening. Angelic visitations to help us to maybe push the car out of the mud because it's stuck, or... Or, uh, you know, uh, praying for somebody that's sick and watching him to get well or or some guy just got his leg chopped off, you know, cutting wood. And, um, you know, you just pray for him and all of a sudden a new leg appears. That's when we're going to start seeing these things is when there's there's you can't turn to any other source when he's all you have. I remember reading that book, Dave, and I wanted to believe it. And I kind of at, at that time back then, like I said, I think it was. Gosh, it had to be 20-some years ago that I read that book, maybe 30 even. Um, I wanted to believe it, and I was even skeptical at that time. Am I really reading something that's real? I know it's going to be real someday, but Some I, already so fantastic. soon. Yeah. It did. It did. And But now time is caught up, and now I go, yes, they did. That book was just 100% accurate and true. It's where the church needs to get, but we never get there until we have no place else to turn. And that's what causes it. And so, you know, it very might well be that the coronavirus is going to push us into that action or a state of martial law is going to push us into that kind of an action. This right. reset 
is going to push us into that kind of action because we're not going to have everything else. An EM pulse weapon, you know, if you just had even an EM pulse weapon over uh, the United States, man, that would push us back to uh, 1800 technology. Do we even know? Does how many people even know how? I now I'd get along just fine. Right. But how many of the younger generation would even know where to begin? How would my oldest boy even know where to begin? Yeah. He, if it's not on a computer, he wouldn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. And and, it, and an EM pulse means he's not going to be able to Google it and get a YouTube video. I mean, you get a YouTube video to how to do anything anymore. Anything. Yeah. You know, in the most craziest things, you can get how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him do it, you know, but you know what? With an EM pulse, you don't have access to any of that anymore. Now you got to right. go on the memory. Yeah. You can't ask uh, uh, Siri or what's uh, yeah, what's Alexa her name? Or whatever. Alexa, yeah. or you can't ask any of them. They're yeah. gone. Now you got to use your memory. Can you remember how to remember? <laughs> you know, that's why that's why I think it's really important that you know you, me, Eric, and everybody else. Somehow, I have to get a car that's pre nineteen seventy three or a truck. You know what? Yes. It doesn't have all those electronics on it. And if there was one of those pulses, those trucks will still run. Yep. You know? They will. Uh, but huh. you have to know how to adjust points. You have to know how to replace the distributor cap, put new wires on, change your own plugs and everything else. And you and I have had the luxury of being able to do that when we were young. Well, back yep. then it wasn't a luxury. It was a job. But, you know, we are the ones that have that. And, and you know what? You millennials out there, if you really want to, if you were smart, you'd, you'd, you'd kind of like trying to learn from us because when that does happen, we're going to be the ones that know how to do that. You're going to be out there trying to start your new BMWs and everything else, and they're just not going to work. But those of us that have worked on points and plugs and, and put our own fuel filters in and everything else in a gas car anyway um, – you know, we know, we know how to do that, and we're going to be the ones that survive. You know, you know, we might be the old idiots that you think that we are, but we're not really the idiots. We have knowledge that you haven't even dreamed of. You know, Dave, because uh, because of living, you know, I, I was in a unique place. I lived in Livonia as a country kid, so I got used to that environment. They had a riding stables um, only not even quite a mile and a half away from where I lived. So we used to rent horses all the time and go up down, you know, cow pass and trails and everything. I knew how to ride a horse before I knew how to ride a Harley. Right. So right. I'm even more fortunate because I still remember how to ride a horse. Yeah. I haven't been on a long time, but I know how to do it. And we might, I, you know, it might come a day when I need to know how to ride a horse for a short time. Maybe only a couple of months, but it'll still, it'll help out. Um you know, being with my military service, my, I know how to survive all kinds of stuff that, you know, what do I need this information for? Well, God knows how to run it because, you know, he taught me how. Um, yeah, that's right. The stuff I'm going to need later on. So, you know, it's a lot of little tricks like that, that, you know, that we have a survivability, little practical knowledge. You didn't know, what, you know, why would I ever need this? What do I need this for? Well, God knows. And that's why, you know, the minute detail of your past is what's going to help you get through to the future. That's and right. it's all about unity, man. It's all about unity. I mean, none of this is going to be any good unless we're not unified as a people to um, to share and to work together. Um, I had, oh, this was three, three days ago at our fellowship meetings that we have at Tim Hortons. A guy stood up, and I knew it had to be the Lord, and he shared he shared with uh, the whole group that he had been abducted by aliens two days oh, wow. before. 
And he got up and he shared that. And he looked at me first. He said, now, Jim, I don't want you to go crazy on this. So, that you know, try to hold back. But then he shared that. And then I actually got up and I said, we're here to discuss Second uh, John or First John, second chapter. I would like to talk with you afterwards, after this, but we're here tonight to talk about Second John, or First John, second chapter. Let's continue that. I'll talk to you about this later. Maybe I can help you out. But thank you for coming forward and saying this because, and then I looked at everybody. I turned around and looked at the crowd and I said, I know there's five people here right now in this room that have had the same thing happen. And from my experience, there's probably another five or ten more people here tonight. You've had the same thing, but you remain silent because you're scared to death to be able to tell anybody, anyone, anywhere. I said, but the good news is all of this recent activity has, uh, as of actual abductions have stopped five years ago. The Lord told me that when just before his coming, they would, that would cease because they've moved on to phase two now. And I said, you don't need, you're not even ready to hear what phase two is. So we want, we don't need to talk about this anymore. Please let's get back to the study and go forward. And this can be for another time. Another guy got up later and he got up and told the whole class because uh, it, it segued into something and people were wondering about it. So he got up and he was bold. He told them what happened in the Garden of Eden. He told them what um, really happened. And I said, oh, my gosh, I can uh... Yes, he did. Okay. And um, my gosh, I was just um, I was my mind was blown. I thought, oh, my God, these people aren't ready for this. This poor guy's going to get beat up. So when he was done talking, I stood up and I said, I cannot let him just tell you what he said without you knowing that I back him 100% fully on everything he said. I have, I've got more scripture than you could ever understand that is real that verifies what he just told you. Yeah. That, then I, I sat down and then the guy that was giving the study that night, he said, I agree with you also. Wow. Man. That nailed it right there. He come back to me. I didn't know it. He's a well-known teacher, highly respected in the Detroit metropolitan area. I, I just only saw him in passing, you know, going in and out. And we talked before. We knew we had, were on the same page with Genesis 6 and everything. I had no idea he had the reputation that he had. And he come up to me. He says, man, that was that was that was so wise of you to, you know, to cite it off. And, and I said, yeah, but that was even I can't believe you said that and did that. And he said, no, but you better believe I was really happy that you got up. And I said, bro, after you said that and I knew it was the Lord, there was no way that I was not going to uh, I was going to let you uh, suffer anything. I said, I knew I had to get up and I had to get, have your back. I was your second witness. You needed it. Right. And so now it's formed a bond between us. That's, you know, really pretty awesome. But I, I had no idea that he had that much of a reputation. So that made it even more brave on his part that he would be compelled by the Lord to speak that out and then boldly speak it out the way he did. Mm -hmm. Not knowing they would have any backing at all, man alive. It's like, you know, but this group, because of the type of fellowship we have, they were, I guess that was their time. They were ready for it. They needed it. Right. You know, one time this stuff was like trivial. It wasn't that important. Now it's vital. It's it vital to understanding all the garbage that we're about to face. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just showing me, man, we are at the end of the end. You know, it's, it's coming down. It's crunch time. That's right. And uh, That's this right. year, the roller coaster ride's ready, man. Get on board because we're going way up one stream and way up and down to another extreme. But we can stay in the middle with a piece that passes all understanding. Yeah, if we're we, buckled in with our Jesus uh, harness. Amen. Amen. Yeah. 
Well, it looks like it's time to harvest pumpkins. Yes, <laughs> you get my yes it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I just want to thank you guys. I think we've had a wonderful show tonight. And I want to thank the audience as our, our sister uh, Windsong has been here and uh, just telling us uh, that we're doing a good job. And uh, and uh, she t- she said the name of the book is Like a Mighty Wind, and it's by Mel Tari, T-A-R-I. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yep. Thank you, Windsong. Thanks. Thank you. You are invaluable to our chat room. <laughs> You're a wonderful yeah, sister, so thank you. We got we to gotta play catch up on our abilities to be able to bring that more into a live situation too i i hope we really can get that figured out yeah yeah i've got the phone number we just got to get it all figured out so um she said um she's asking us to say a prayer for the leaders of the world to be godly so maybe we ought to end in a prayer and in a prayer like yeah, yeah good good idea you know what i eric you want to lead us in that in prayer i'm sorry what's that I said, you want to lead us in in prayer, just praying for the leaders that they would become more godly. Sure, I could do that. Okay. All right. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we come to you um, to pray uh, for those in the world, those that are in uh, positions of leadership, um, those that may be on the fence um, as far as um, belief in God in general. Uh, Pray, Lord, that you will soften their hearts and that they will uh, turn towards you uh, and walk in your ways, Lord, and that uh, they will be a light to the world uh, in the times that we're now entering into. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. From your lips, or our lips, to uh, God's ears. God's ears. Amen. Thank yes. you, Winsaw. That was a good suggestion. So, well, brothers and sisters, um, have a have a wonderful week until we meet next week. And um, I just value your friendship, all of you, Winsong, you and Jim and Eric and uh, and our audience. I value your your um, trustworthiness and coming and listening to us either live or down or downloading the show or or doing it as a a stream. Um, uh, I would like to explain real quick that what I do is when the show's over with, I take the file probably later tonight, clean it up a little bit and I take the file that's on uh on the um, you know on the server of uh, Spreaker, and I take it off and I put the cleaned up version on there. That sounds a little better, and um, you know it gets rid of all the noise and everything else. So um, if you want to download it now, that's fine. If you want to download it later, that's good too. So, but uh, just want to let people know what happens uh, uh, in that regard. So, and uh, we'll. We're going to have to do a test show, just the three of us, to see if uh, two of us will be on there and one one will get on there and call on the number and see if we can call them in and, and stuff like that. And then we'll have to lay some ground rules. You know, if you if you start cussing and stuff, you're going to go bye-bye. And so anyway, uh, that's stuff that we can say, uh, you know, offline. But, folks, thank you for listening, and and uh, be blessed in, in Jesus' name and uh, until next Monday and even after that, okay? Uh, amen and hey. amen. Yeah. Hey guys, before let's let's stay on after just okay. for a second, okay? So we can okay, pray sure together. Okay. okay. Bye everyone. Good night.